Hey everybody, welcome back to the Digital Adoption Show by Watfex, which is a digital adoption solution for any application on the web. This podcast here is your go-to show for a 360-degree view of digital adoption, learning, and training innovations in companies across the globe. And throughout this podcast, we have many luminaries from L&D, HR, and employee experience domain to discuss the hot and trending topics right now in this age of digital learning revolution. I'm your host, Gokul Suresh, and I'm the marketing manager at Watfix. And it's a pleasure today to welcome our guest, Dr. Roy Pollock, the chief learning officer of the Six Ds Company and the co-author of the best-selling book, The Six Disciplines of Breakthrough Learning, How to Turn Training and Development into Business Results. Dr. Pollock has a unique blend of experience in both business and education. He's also a popular international speaker, consultant, and a passionate professor with extensive experience in business management, learning, and strategy development. Dr. Pollock, thank you for joining us, and I'm excited to talk about the 60s of Breakthrough Learning with you today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to participate, and I look forward to the discussion. Right. The pleasure is all mine. You know, just just to set context right from the start, uh, you know, would you prefer Dr. Pollock or just Roy? Roy is fine. Thank you. Okay. Okay, Roy. So it's, it's definitely great to have you uh, join us. And uh, I kind of have a feeling that uh, the introduction that I gave barely did uh, any justice. And um, so it would be awesome if you could add some more to it by introducing yourself to the audience. Great. Glad to do so. You were very generous in the introduction, but uh, there are a couple more things I think the audience should know. The most important of which is that I spent most of my career as a business leader where I was responsible for achieving our business goals for growth and profitability. That experience shaped the way I think about learning and development in a business setting. And the way I think about it is this. If what you do as an HR or learning professional can help me achieve my business targets, then I have time, money, and respect for you. But if all you do is put on cool programs that everybody loves, but which don't meaningfully contribute to achieving business performance, then in my opinion, as a business leader, you are wasting time and resources. And so when the budget gets tight, you'll be the first place I cut. You must remember that in a business setting, you are in the performance business, not the training business. Don't think of your job as delivering training. Think of your job as helping employees perform on the job. The real goal is performance. Think creatively about how you can use technologies such as embedded support, training, and other means to make that happen. Your value is how much you actually help achieve business results, not how much training you deliver. Well, that's the kind of intro I wanted. (laughs) Thank you for that, Roy. And, uh, you know, there's another reason why I'm excited to have you here. Uh, It just hit me last night uh, that I've read many articles that you've written, especially uh, in the learning websites like ATD. And uh, now I have you here on the Digital Adoption Show, and that's just awesome, (laughs) right? Also, also I've heard plenty uh, about your book on the six disciplines. Uh, For me and the audience, could, could you actually tell briefly what the six disciplines are? Sure. Six disciplines are the answer to a question we asked starting probably almost 20 years ago. And that is, why do some learning and development programs, change initiatives, 
add so much more value than others. What's the difference? After all, we all use similar instructional design models, we use similar training techniques, and yet clearly, even within one organization, there are differences between programs that add value and those that don't. We were hoping to find one silver bullet, one thing that made the difference, but it turns out that there were six things. There were six things that highly effective programs and organizations did that less effective programs and organizations didn't. So the, we recognized these six things and we have since continued to write and teach and learn about them. The six disciplines are these. First, define the business outcomes. Remember I said we're in the performance business, not the training business. So it's absolutely critical before you even begin to design a program that you understand what it is the business is trying to accomplish in terms of performance objectives, because everything else depends on having that clear. The second discipline is to design the complete experience. And what that means is treating learning as an ongoing process, not as a one-off event. Recognizing that what happens before and especially after the training makes a real difference in whether it adds value or is waste. The third discipline is to deliver for application. That is, design the learning experience and all of the supporting materials in a way that makes it easy to apply. Value is created only by the application of the learning, not by its acquisition. The fourth discipline practiced by the most effective programs is to drive learning transfer. That means to put in place systems and processes to make sure the learning is in fact applied when people return to their jobs, because as I just said, that's the only way in which it adds value. In order to ensure that people apply what they learn, we need to, fifth, deploy performance support. That is, give people the tools, the information, the support they need to perform flawlessly in their jobs in real time. And the sixth and final discipline is to document the results, which is really to come back to the beginning. Did we deliver what we promised? Did we achieve the performance objectives? If we did, what can be improved? If we didn't, what went wrong? So we need to assess the outcomes of any initiative and waves that prove the value of the investment and that also provide information to improve the next iteration. Okay, now I totally understand why that book was a bestseller, right? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> right, and it's really intriguing. And um, I have a lot of questions on my mind about the six disciplines. Uh, and coincidentally, at WhatFix, uh, we have identified a five-stage framework as well. Uh, that is for accelerating product adoption. Uh, and uh, this is what we share with our customers in, in general when we uh, go through the whole customer success process. So our five-stage framework includes design, develop, deliver, analyze, and iterate. A little bit off there, but uh, you see uh, similarities between uh, your model of 60s and ours. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's not surprising, you see, since both models recognize that the real value comes from on-the-job application. So it doesn't matter how potentially useful a new software system is or what people learned in a training program. 
Such initiatives only repay the cost of investment when they're put to work. And so therefore, both models recognize that certain things must be in place in order to be sure that new software is put to work or new learning is put to work, that driving performance is a process and not just an event. So both the six Ds and the five-stage framework recognize the design has to first focus on adoption and application, that we're not simply in the business of transmitting knowledge. We're in the business of changing performance in a way that helps the employee and helps the organization succeed. I think both models recognize the importance of spacing learning out over time, and in particular, providing post-training support as an integral part of the learning to results process. That what happens after the training isn't an afterthought, it really needs to be built into the process from the very beginning. I'm, as I look at the five-stage model, I'm particularly pleased to see that it emphasizes the importance of analyzing training's impact, not merely its delivery, not just how many people were trained, how many e-learning courses were completed, but really, did it make a difference? And also, the five-stage model, as does the six Ds, emphasizes the importance of getting insights so that we can improve the execution of subsequent iterations. In fact, one of your principles is to iterate. In the six Ds, we actually teach that the only reason to evaluate anything is to guide future action. So I'm, I'm pleased to see that's really called out in the five-stage model. So of course, we name them slightly differently. We, you have five, we have six, but that fundamentally the ideas and approaches are very much in alignment and if followed, will help companies increase their effectiveness and the return on their training and development investments. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's just uh, perfect. And uh, I'm glad that uh, there are so many different disciplines and different models which watches on the same uh, concept, right? Um, say more about them and uh, relate them to the two models? Sure. For training or, or any other change initiative to succeed, <clears throat> employees have to change the way they do their work at what we like to call the moment of truth. Now, the moment of truth for an initiative is that moment when the employee has to decide how they're going to perform a work task. And they really have two choices. They can perform it the new way they have just learned, or they can perform it the same old way they've been doing it in the past. But of course, if they continue to do it the same old way, then performance will continue to be as it was and no value will have been added. So in order for an employee to choose to perform in a new way, they have to answer two questions in the affirmative. Can I do it the new way? And will I do it? So they have to say, yes, I can, and yes, I will, in order for the initiative to add value. Now, when they think about, can I do it the new way, the first question is, well, did the training really teach me how? Was the training focused on application, or was it all theory? Do I understand how to apply it? Was I given sufficient practice? So that needs to be in place to say, can I? And that's part of both models. But also, even if employee feels, I can do it, I know how to do this the new way I was taught, the next question is, will I do it the new way?
because it's going to take effort to change. And so the question is, am I motivated to do it the new way? And that means there have to be in place reminders, there have to be in place incentives, there has to be something beyond the training itself. So the employee will say, yes, I will make the effort. I will try to change things so that I perform better. And again, both models recognize that it's not just the training, it's the employee's complete experience before, during, and after the training that determines whether they say, yes, I can, and yes, I will, because they have to say yes to both in order for the initiative to add value. Excellent. I think um, it, it actually gives two perspectives, one for the employees to succeed and uh, the second one for employers who are in fact looking to make their training processes uh, better with newer innovations. And both of them actually have to think, can and will I? Right. And uh, I must say, there's so many things that I want to ask you about the 60s. In fact, um, I think one podcast is way too less time to get it all covered. What do you think? <laughs> Great. Well, I'm, um, you know, when we when we teach this as a workshop, it usually takes me two days. But I want to give people the key ideas and to draw the, the parallels between your approach and ours. Uh, one of the things that designers should ask themselves and managers should ask about any of these initiatives is, Will the employee be able to say, yes, I can. That is, I know how, I have the support, I have the tools, I have the online help, I have what I need to do it. And then will they do it? Which means, have we built in the right incentives? Have we built in the right recognition? Have we built in the right accountability for using it? And both those need to be in place. And that is the intersection between business management and learning and development. Success requires us both to participate to ensure those questions are answered in the affirmative. Absolutely. I mean, yes, that makes complete sense. So, uh, right, you just mentioned about the workshops. What are those like? Ah, well, uh, we, we do offer, uh, for people who wish to know more about the 60s, uh, we teach uh, a detailed workshop about how to implement these ideas. What does it look like in practice? We do that both either on site as a live workshop, or we also teach uh, virtually uh, over the internet, which allows us then to reach a much wider audience, even as, as you are able to do with these podcasts. Okay, perfect. I mean, um, I'll definitely check out the workshops and the audience. I think you guys should definitely do that too. <laughs> right. Okay, thank you. It's, uh, it's on our website, which is www the60s.com, T-H-E, the number 6ds.com, uh, if people are interested in learning more about the 60s in general or the workshops in particular. Yep, you got the right. And um, so, so the next thing I had in mind uh, is about another discipline in your model that is driving the learning transfer. So what does that entail? Well, we've, you know, we've touched on this, and that is that value is only created when I transfer what I have learned out of any kind of training program or on the job training or any other onboarding initiative. It's only a value when I transfer it to my work. Now, when we say learning transfer, we don't mean from the instructor to the learner. We mean that the person transfers the learning out of the learning environment into the work environment because it's only when they implement it in their work that it adds value. So we need to design mechanisms as part of that total learning experience 
to ensure that people are reminded of the need to use it, they are supported in their need to use it, they're held accountable for using it. Because if they don't, they, they can learn all sorts of new skills, they can learn new attitudes, they can learn new knowledge, but if it isn't transferred to their work, then it adds no value. So from a, in my role as a business leader, if the transfer fails, then from my point of view, the training failed. Because I don't care how much people learn. What I care is what percent of that learning was used on the job in a way that helped achieve business goals. So uh, there's a real opportunity for learning professionals and HR professionals to think more holistically about what can we do to foster the transfer? What can we do to support people as they attempt to apply these new skills so they're successful and so we'd actually drive performance? There's some specific suggestions for how we do that, but it begins with the mindset that we own it. We need to take responsibility for it and we need to help ensure that it happens because that's the only way that in fact we add value. So when you did mention about the learning transfer, so there's one particular thing that piqued my interest there. Uh, that's knowledge retention. So this is what I've read. Uh, I, I can't recall the name of the report, but um, uh, th this is what I've, uh, it, it, complete, it makes complete sense there. So after one hour, people retain less than half of the information. After one day, people forget more than 70% of what was taught in the training. Then after six days, people forget 75% of the information in the training. So this is, this is all that about uh, knowledge retention, right? Uh, so what are your thoughts on that? And how do you actually tie it up with, uh, let's say, the learning transfer or the other 60s? And how do you make sure that there is stickiness with the knowledge that is shared? So um, what you've described, Gokul, is the forgetting curve. Um, okay. Uh, been, been well known. It was first elucidated by a German named Ebbinghaus over 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, now, when Ebbinghaus got interested in the question of memory and forgetting, so he wanted to avoid the influence of prior knowledge, so what he actually studied was how people remember lists of nonsense syllables. And what he discovered, of course, is if you work hard and memorize a list of just nonsense syllables, then uh, you forget them very, very rapidly, particularly if you do it just once. What we actually know now, after another 100 years of study, is that the situation is, is more complex than what he studied, and there are specific things we can do to help people better retain and use that information so that we don't get the, the forgetting curve, the loss of 75 or even 90% of what people learned. Now, one of the most important principles is what is called the spacing principle, and that is to revisit a topic several times with intervals in between because every time you revisit a topic, you enrich the neural pathway to it, which makes it both easier to recall and it also deepens your understanding. So for example, if you were to study a subject for 20 minutes over three days, so 20 minutes a day for three days, you would learn it better than if you were to spend the same amount of time, 60 minutes, but do it all at once. So spacing out, recoming back to topics makes them both more memorable and richer. So we should do that when we teach, we should come back to topics, and we should find ways to interact with the learner once they return to work to bring that learning back to mind. 
spacing out the learning has a very powerful effect on counteracting that forgetting curve. Uh, the other thing we can do is that we can enrich the number of connections. The more connections you have to something, the easier it is to call, recall, and then to apply in the right situation. So we should intentionally build our training and our after-training support in ways that help people make multiple connections to things, give them a mental framework, a way of thinking about it. So in the training itself, one of the things to do is give people an advanced organizer. That is, give them the framework for how to think about the topic. And then use lots of examples and illustrations, and particularly job and company relevant illustrations that help them make connections, make it easier to recall, and you won't get such a steep learning curve because it's tied to other things they already know and can remember, and that makes it easier to bring it back in the future. So those are just two things, there are others, but in particular, if we'd use the spacing principle, and work at helping people enrich the number of connections, then we can counteract that forgetting curve, which is a very real phenomenon. I mean, that's just beautifully explained. And, uh, you know, a shout out to all the audience. Uh, if you guys forget any of the things that uh, Roy just uh, told about it, just come back here. I mean, I know we can beat the forgetting curve, right? Yes, come, uh, uh, look, look at it another time or look at it from a different perspective, read about it in a different way, um, look at the, the five-stage model, but it's, it's deepening those neural connections, it's enriching those connections is what makes it memorable and also makes it far more useful in the future. Exactly. <laughs> right. So now uh, moving on to the fifth discipline, uh, deploying uh, performance support. So what is that? Again, if we focus on the idea that our job is to help people improve their performance in a way that helps them in their career and helps the company achieve its goals, then we should give people whatever support they need to perform flawlessly on the job every time. Now, human beings are very good at remembering the big picture, okay, the, the sort of gist of things. But when it comes down to remembering details, it's hard to remember all the details. So if I learned a multi-step process in, let's say, training, or I learned how to use a new piece of software in the training, now I'm back at my job trying to remember all of the steps in the right sequence in real time is extremely difficult. Um, it overloads working memory if I have to remember both the steps and how to perform them. So make it easy for people. Give them a checklist. Give them a step-by-step -step procedure. Give them a flowchart or an algorithm. Think about what would help people perform on the job flawlessly every time because that's what our customers expect. So performance support is just about asking the question, in addition to training, what will people have trouble remembering or doing, especially the first few times, and figure out how to get it to them at the moment of need, where and when they need it, quickly and efficiently, because we can drive performance. Over time, they'll be less dependent on the support, but make it available so that they can perform at their very best. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, with WhatFix, we actually preach the same thing. Uh, we we help um, 
the users of different applications uh, by giving them training and uh, proactive help at the moment of need. And uh, so, Roy, do you think uh, WhatFix would be particularly valuable in the fifth discipline? Yeah, I mean, it, it, this is exactly what we're talking about. Um, we're talking about, so what makes great performance support? Great performance support has a number of attributes. One of them is availability, when and where I need it. The more easily and quickly I can get at the information, the more likely I am to use it and the more effective it's likely to be. Uh, Gottfriedson and Mosher wrote a book called Innovative Performance Support. And in it, they said, the more embedded, intuitive, and tailored the support is, the higher the probability that performers will see value in it and will engage in it at another time. Okay? So we need support to be available quickly, easily, specific to the task I'm working on. And we can use that to drive performance. So that kind of support where it's available, it's specific, it's tailored, it's quick, is exactly what we're talking about to drive performance. And it's complementary to training. Some cases, we can reduce the amount of training if we have the right support. Some cases, we can even eliminate training. But it's not an either or. It's an and. And as we design the training in the very beginning, we should be thinking about what kind of support will help people perform on the job. Perfect. I think, uh, you know, my marketing team should definitely hear this and they would get a lot more insights here. <laughs> my pleasure. Right. Right. So, um, yeah. So I also noticed that um, in the diagram of the six Ds, uh, most of the disciplines are shown in a timeline from left to right. Right. So, but uh, from D4, that is driving a learning transfer and D5, that is deploy performance support. They both are stacked one above the other. So why is that? Well, that's, we did that intentionally to make the point that D4, driving training transfer, that is holding people accountable for using what they learn. You see, it should be unacceptable for an employee to go to training and not do anything with it because it's basically wasting the company's resources. So if you go to training, you should be held accountable for using it. But if I'm going to hold you accountable for using it, then I should do everything I can to be sure you have the information, the tools, the support to succeed. So what we found is that you need to deploy D4 and D5 simultaneously. They're complementary and they're synergistic. You get greater value if you give people great support, for example, with a what fix system, and at the same time, you expect them to perform D4, you hold them accountable for transferring that learning to the job. So the two need to work together and we illustrated them as stacked rather than occurring one after the other to make the point that they are, they're, they're complementary, they're a pair that support one another and get the best possible results for the company and the employee. Understood. Okay, so for all the people curious about the diagram, do check out the 60s website or stay tuned to the blog post after this podcast and uh, we'll make sure that we describe the whole diagram there. Okay, so uh, we are almost at the end of this episode of the Digital Adoption Show and um, I wanted to end it on an exciting note. So Roy, so we are going to have a rapid fire round and uh, I want you to pour out the first idea that comes in your mind uh, about the next questions that I have for you. What's okay. it? Good. 
All right. So the first question. So in all the years of training, which is the one method that is your absolute favorite? Oh. <laughs> uh, it's a rapid fire. Men okay. Mentoring. Now, I love training. I love doing stand-up training, interacting with people. I like teaching over the internet. But what I really like most is the opportunity to work with a group of people over time. So I can share what I've learned in the course of my career, and I can see them help and grow and offer advice and suggestions and challenges and questions in real time. So I guess I'd have to say mentoring. Okay, perfect. Um, the second question. So this is something that we ask all the guests uh, uh, of this podcast as an influencer. Uh, and I'm sure that there are many influencers that who have influenced you, right? And influenced and inspired rather. So who would top that list? No question. Jorge Valls, uh, my boss at Smith Klein Beecham and the finest manager mm -hmm. I ever worked for. Um, I've had many wonderful mentors. Every successful person has had wonderful mentors, but Jorge is special. Uh, he taught me that great managers are great teachers. I, I never left his office without having learned something. And I, I guess the most important thing I learned from Jorge is that the more knowledge I gave away, the smarter I became. Okay. Uh, the next question. So um, I believe you've written six books so far. Am I right? Or correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, I, 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 I probably lost count now. Um, <laughs> it depends a little whether we count the uh, translations, but some number of books, yes. Okay, so which one is your absolute favorite there? I mean, which one would you recommend uh, everyone listening to this to read? Well, I think, I, I think the place to start is the book called The Six Disciplines. Um, that really lays out what we have learned. It's now in its third edition, so it it's, uh, represents about 15 years of knowledge working with companies around the world and uh, describes each of the disciplines in more detail. It includes ideas for actions. It includes ideas for management and for the learning professionals. So I think that's the, the best, most readable and complete. Um, and people around the globe have told me they found it very helpful. So that would, that would be my favorite. Okay, awesome. And, uh, you know, the last question here. So what is the one word or phrase that comes to your mind uh, when I say digital transformation and adoption? adapt or die. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean by that is that the, the World Economic Forum's Future of Jobs report says that more than half of all jobs are going to require significant reskilling and upskilling in the next five years. You've got to be flexible, you've got to be open to new ideas, and you've got to keep learning or risk being obsolete. That's why uh, Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft said, always keep learning. You stop doing useful things if you don't learn. That's just perfect, Roy. And uh, well, that's it for the rapid fire round. And uh, guys, adapt or die. That's our final takeaway from this episode. And of course, that's the high note on which we are ending this episode of the Digital Adoption Show. So once again, thanks for joining us in the podcast, Roy. Uh, it has been an amazing episode, I would say. And uh, I've tr I truly enjoyed it. Oh, terrific. Great. Well, I, I enjoyed the conversation as well, and I genuinely appreciate the opportunity to share these ideas with your audience. Yeah, and uh, for the audience uh, who are quite excited and possibly they have many questions as well, so it would be great if you could share uh, how they could reach out to you. Uh, sure. Um, they can. Uh, there, there is a, a contact form on the website. That's probably the easiest way to be sure it gets to me. Uh, and we are happy, I'm happy to answer questions. And then uh, if you, Gokul, have a, a question for uh, 
a, a forum for answering questions online, I'd be happy to do that as well. Yeah, we, we can make that happen. And I think, yeah, that should be fine. <laughs> Okay, also last but not the least, um, if you're looking for a performance support tool to streamline your digital adoption, then do check out whatfix.com and we have something really interesting there for you. And uh, stay tuned to the digital adoption show for more great content and some incredible speakers. This is Gokul signing off for the day. Have a great one.